0: In uh, Matthew 16 and 17, there are several stories that comprise a bigger story about Peter and faith and building a church. We've already preached a couple of sermons on this section of Scripture and discussed uh, sort of our dreams for the, the sanctuary, so I'd like to remind you of those messages and then keep going, okay? In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, Jesus sits in front of the gates of hell in Caesarea Philippi, remember remember that? And uh, he asks the disciples, who do men say that? Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're rocky, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then Jesus reveals that he will die. And Peter rebukes Jesus because how is he going to build the church with a dead Messiah? And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are not on the side of God, but you are on the side of men. Peter obviously doesn't know how Christ's church will be built. Then Matthew 17, 1 through 13, after six days on the seventh day, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up a mountain where he's transfigured, metamorpho, that's where we get the word metamorphose. He shines like the sun as he stands next to Moses and Elijah. Totally flummoxed and discombobulated, Peter says, shall I build uh, three tabernacles? So he's trying to build the church, but he doesn't know how, and he doesn't know exactly what it is. A voice booms from heaven, this is my beloved son, listen to him. But we understand Peter. He sees something thoroughly astounding, and he thinks he's got to do something about it. And so what does he see? Remember, we showed you this slide. What Peter sees, he sees the Superman. He sees the Son of Man. He sees the God-man. He sees the judgment. He, says, he, sees, the, he sees the Word that creates all things uh, on the seventh day where everything, everything, everything is very good. In the words of God, in Scripture, Revelation 21, 5, Peter beholds that God in Christ Jesus makes all things new. He sees that God is better than you thought. The love of Jesus is deeper than you know, and the Spirit is everywhere working the wonders of mercy. He sees what I believe we as a church are called to preach. Well, what do you do with such an incredible, astounding vision? Instinctively, Peter wants to build a tabernacle. Many of you remember that when the manifest presence of God was revealed to Moses on the mountain as a bush transfigured by fire, and then as a pillar of fire that temporarily transfigured Moses, you remember that God had Moses build a tabernacle. A tabernacle, the the presence of God would appear above the, the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant in the sanctuary behind the veil, which separated the manifest presence of God from dirt, decay, bodily excretia. And so the high priest went through elaborate rituals to cleanse his soul of sin and his body of dirt before he entered the sanctuary behind the veil. We naturally think that something that holy needs to be protected from dirt. But maybe the dirt needs to be protected from the holy. I mean, mean, it wasn't God that was in danger. It was all these people made of dirt. Well Jesus transfigures on the mountain and Jesus transfigures for us. You know, most of the Christian church, the Roman Catholic church, the Eastern Orthodox church, and much of the Protestant church believe that the communion bed actually transfigures or metamorphoses uh, into the body of Christ. It's often called the doctrine of the real presence. The Roman Catholics call it the doctrine of transubstantiation. People in my Presbyterian church say Christ is spiritually present which often means um, not really very present. <laughs> in, in many um, churches, American, <clears throat> from Anabaptist, maybe Baptist backgrounds, the host, the bread and wine, was really just considered to be bread from Safeway and, and the wine, uh, wine from Tipsies and nothing more. But for me, it's much more. I can't comprehend it. I can't manufacture it. I can't control it, but I've observed it. I know from experience that communion wine burns Satan like fire. I have listened to stories of visions and even experiences here even in this place wherein the bread uh, took on very unbread-like characteristics like that of a beating heart. I remember one gal years ago who couldn't swallow the bread until she prayed, okay, Jesus, you can come in. Well, I'm just asking, when Christ transfigures, when the glory of God is revealed, what do we do with it? I find it fascinating that we either deny the transfiguration or we build tabernacles. This is a tabernacle from a Russian Orthodox church. Uh, It's built to contain... The host, the communion bread and the communion wine. This is a tabernacle from St. Martin's uh, Catholic Church in, in Belgium. I mean that's a nice tabernacle, isn't it? This is a monstrance. Uh, a monstrance is used to display the consecrated communion wafer. This is a cardinal carrying a monstrance which contains a communion. Wa- the, the green cloth in his hand is called the veil. It keeps him from touching the monstrance, which touches uh, the host. That is the communion wafer. In Roman Catholicism, it's a common practice, a practice of devotion uh, to sit in what's called the adoration of the host. Wherein a believer sits in silence before the communion bread in a monstrance or a tabernacle, and that makes some sense. Because like we said last week, um, God says to Martha, one, or Jesus says to Martha, one thing is necessary. And God says to Peter, this is my beloved son, Listen to him. Even Baptists do this. They keep the holiness in a tabernacle, a thing they call the church. I remember being shocked when I first started preaching. Uh, The very same people that would tell me dirty jokes in the parking lot were the very ones that would get most upset with me for even alluding to anything that they considered dirty in the sermon inside the church. Why? Because inside the church was holy and the dirt belonged outside in the parking lot. Or at least that's what they thought. So Peter sees the body and blood of Jesus transfigured on a mountain and he wants to build a tabernacle to keep the glory safe from the dirt. Or maybe the dirt safe from the glory. Peter sees the superman. Peter sees the superman and Peter sees something else. He sees the promised seed. Seems to me that we modern Christians have lost sight of this. But you realize that the Bible from the first chapter of Genesis to the last chapter of Revelation is really the story of a seed. Genesis 315, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the snake. And that's weird, huh? But, but the seed of the woman, and you got to think, well, seed in a woman, that's weird, but, but the, the seed of the woman is not all of the women's children, because in chapter 12, we find out that Abraham carries the seed, and yet the seed is smaller than all of Abraham's descendants, for Isaac carries the seed, and then Jacob, who becomes Israel, carries the seed, and then uh, Judah carries the seed, but it's smaller than Judah, smaller than the Jews, because David carries the seed and Solomon carries the seed. Wickedness increases, all men are lost until the promised seed is revealed. Galatians 3:16. now the promises were made to Abraham and his seed. It does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. On the mountain, Peter saw the promised seed. You know, the Jews believed that the Messiah, the seed of David, the promised seed, would rid the land of all uncleanness, that is, dirt. And they figured that he'd probably use an army, and that's why, part of why, they were so disappointed in, in Jesus. But we're Christians, and we believe that Jesus is The seed. And you know, a seed is an absolutely amazing thing. I mean, a seed looks like a little speck of nothing, right? Yet a seed can transfigure into an entire new creation. It looks dead. And yet it is literally an author of life. Scientists cannot manufacture one seed. They cannot comprehend one seed, but they know that a seed is an absolute treasure. According to National Geographic, a few years ago, scientists found the seed of a Judean date palm in Herod's palace, 2,000 years old, and it germinated and turned into a tree. That's cool. In the Millennium Building in London, in this Volbard Global Seed Vault in Norway, scientists keep seeds in a vault in the event that we should experience some sort of global apocalypse that would annihilate all life, because with these seeds, uh, well, you could form an entire new creation. They keep them safe from what? Dirt. <laughs> And decay, poop, fertilizer, like a seed that you keep safe in a plastic bag or an envelope, like bread and wine, safe in a golden tabernacle, like Jesus, safe on the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, as we preached in November, Peter is not supposed, he's not supposed to build the tabernacle, a uh, sanctuary, and I believe God has told me that I cannot build this sanctuary but like I said in November I think I am and we are supposed to sail the sanctuary somewhere we're supposed to take our faith Beyond these walls, well, in matthew seventeen verse fourteen Peter, Jesus, James, and John have just descended the Mount of Transfigur- descended from the Mount of Transfiguration into the valley they 've descended from a taste of heaven into the belly of hell, and it appears that the gates of hell are prevailing. OK, now our text at last, all right matthew seventeen verse fourteen, and when they came to the crowd. A man came up to Jesus and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water, and I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. As we'll soon find out, and as Mark makes abundantly clear in his gospel, this boy has been afflicted with a demon from his childhood. The disciples appear to have been casting out demons now for a couple of years because in Matthew 10, Jesus gave them authority over demons and sent them out. But these nine disciples in the valley, for these nine disciples, this demon will not leave. Verse 17, and Jesus said to them, O faithless and twisted, perverse, perverse generation. I mean, dang, I, I mean, I get that they're having a hard time, but why perverse? And Jesus answered, O faithless and perverse generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, well, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said, because of your little faith. He already said that generation was faithless. That's... No faith. Now he seems to say the disciples have little faith. Remember in Mark 2, he saw impressive faith? We we preached on it. That was the faith of the four guys that brought their their, their friend, the paralytic. Uh, the four friends that removed the roof. Remember that uh Roman centurion in, in Matthew 8 preached on this too, I, I think, had had marvelous faith. Jesus marveled at his faith and paralysis was removed from the centurion's servant. It was kind of troubling because Jesus says, but I haven't found faith like this in all of Israel, and it was in a Roman centurion. And then in chapter 15, we preached on a little while ago, Jesus finds mega faith, remember, in a Canaanite woman, and a demon is removed from her daughter. Perfect faith, well, perfect faith has got to be Jesus. So if you map this out on a standard evangelical faithogram, which you all have, by the way, in your head, measuring faith in SFUs at standard faith units, I think you'd plot something like this. Uh, down here at no faith, well, that would like move nothing, right? No faith moves nothing. Uh, little faith might bend a spoon, you know, like the amazing Kreskin could do that, mm, and you bend a spoon. Impressive faith, well, we know that removes a roof. Marvelous faith, I figure that's about 65 SFUs, that removes disease. Maybe if they tried, levitated Volkswagen. Uh, 85 mega faith, that removes demons, I imagine could lift a locomotive. Move a mountain, well, that's got to be Jesus. SFU. So so we obviously need more faith. Right? That's what we need, more faith. So how do you get more faith? Do you concentrate really hard, like, Luke Skywalker, may the force be with you, or or maybe like the incredible magician Burt Wonderstone, you know, that's how, that's how you get more faith. Maybe you take classes about, you know, the stupidity of atheists and how to prove your faith, the existence of God, or maybe you go to church. Maybe you keep your faith safe in the tabernacle, safe. From the dirt and the decay of this fallen world. How do you increase your faith? The disciples ask Jesus that in, in Luke. They they say to Jesus, Jesus, increase our faith. And he responds by telling something them really strange, it doesn't seem like an answer at all. He just tells them about a little a little seed. Matthew 17, verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, sorry, I'm joking. If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. If nothing is impossible for you, it means that your will is entirely free, for whatever you will happens. And if other persons exist in that same reality, all wills must harmonize in a great symphony of desire called heaven, or or maybe the the will of God. Anyway, Jesus says this, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move, and it will move. Now, on the surface, that is a thoroughly bizarre thing to say. Cuz in Matthew 13, Jesus already told the disciples that the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. And then he says to them, it's the smallest of all seeds. In other words, mustard seed faith has got to be like uh, 1SFU, right, smallest unit of faith, the mustard seed, 1SFU, mustard seed faith, 1SFU, and it will will move a, a mountain. And that means their little faith is not only the problem, it's the solution. In other words, the issue is not the size of the faith, but the nature of the faith, and therefore, what you do with it. Faith is a seed. Now, that means it may look dead, but it's alive, and and maybe that's why Jesus called them perverse. You know, to use a living person for the love of sex is perverse. But to use sex, to love a living person, is holy. I mean, maybe faith is like a person, not simply an object for, for you to use. Well, faith is a seed, a seed. And that means it's not a technology. Faith is not the kind of knowledge that you can take from a book or a class or pick from some tree and just apply to your life. Faith is not knowledge you can apply to your world with the strength of your will, as if knowing the good, you could choose the good. It's not just trying harder. Faith is not knowledge you can take and not simply a decision you can make. True faith is not chosen by men. It chooses men, like Jesus chose Peter, James, and John. So faith is a seed, and a seed is alive. You cannot manufacture a seed. You cannot comprehend a seed. You cannot control a seed except to surrender control of the seed or maybe surrender control to the seed. And that is what's so entirely counterintuitive about seeds and what is also so entirely counterintuitive about faith. If you want a seed to work, you must plant the seed. And you must plant the seed in dirt, and that must feel like death, for it is death, and then an entire new creation. That faith will move mountains. In Matthew 13, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man kingdom of heaven that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Hebrews 11:1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and I think we all hope for heaven, but if we have a slice of heaven, what do we do with it? We, we hang on to it and protect it from hell. In fear, we keep seeds safe from dirt, and decay, and poop, and fertilizer. But unless I bury a seed in dirt and decay, unless I deliver, parodidomai is the Greek for deliver, hand over, or betray, unless I deliver the seed to death in the dirt, it does not live, does not become a tree, and and does not move mountains, I guess. But if I do plant the seed, if I surrender control of the seed, if I sow the seed and wait, the seed does an absolutely remarkable thing. One could say that the dirt destroys the seed, but it would be more accurate to say that the seed destroys the dirt. It literally transfigures dirt into a tree. And what does a tree do? A tree takes dirt, mixes it with light, and produces life, which is fruit, which is more seed. You know the cross is a tree, and we're made of dirt, and God is light. And Jesus is the light of the world, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. On the tree, we took his life, but on the tree, he gave his life, and that tree of knowledge somehow becomes the tree of life. Anyway, Jesus said, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say, and it will happen. In Luke, he says, what what will happen? A tree will move and be planted in the sea. What a bizarre thing to say. In Mark, he says, Mount Zion will move. That's the mountain on which is the temple and Jesus was crucified. Maybe Mount Zion and the tree upon it will move to the nations. That is the sea. Well, anyway, the seed will grow, says Jesus, and move mountains. But you must plant it in dirt and decay. And that must be incredibly distressing for it feels like death. Next verse, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered parodidomai, into the hands of men made of dirt and they will kill him. And he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. So faith is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And Jesus is the seed, the promised seed. Peter writes that we have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. And Jesus is the word of God. John 12, six days before Calvary, Jesus says this, Um, The the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, and he was speaking about crucifixion on the tree, I will draw all people to myself." So Jesus is the promised seed, and so of course, Peter wants to keep him safe in the tabernacle. But Jesus came to be planted, and where is the kingdom of heaven to be planted? His body and his blood are planted in a a tomb surrounded by dirt, but the gates of hell cannot prevail against him. The tombs are opened in Matthew, and he rises on the third day. His body and blood are planted, were planted in dust and dirt, and his body and blood are planted in you. For he said, this is my body, this is my blood, take and eat, take and drink. And on the tree, John 19, he bowed his head and delivered up parodidomai, his spirit. It's the spirit that descends upon the church and cries out from the depths of your being, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. That's faith. That's the seed taking root in a bag of dirt and decay that is you. That's the old you being transfigured into the new you. When Jesus died, the veil in the tabernacle ripped and the Spirit of Christ invaded the people of dirt. There are numerous places in Scripture where modern translations read as if we're saved by faith in Jesus. But a literal translation reads, we're saved by the faith of Jesus. It is the faith of Jesus that is planted in the dirt that is you. 1 Corinthians 3, you are God's field. Actually, the seed is planted in the dirtiest, crappiest, most fertile parts of you. For where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Seeds eat dirt (laughs) like grace eats sin. Buried in your dirt and decay and faithlessness. Buried in in your dirt and decay. There, Jesus Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And into your hands I commit, I deliver my spirit. That's where Jesus has faith. And that's where he gives you His faith. I'm saying that this is not the tabernacle, and this is not the tabernacle, and this is not the tabernacle, and this is the tabernacle. God's blood and this is the monstrance, and this is the monstrance, and this is the monstrance. A sinner transfigured by grace is the monstrance. So just to review, one more monstrance, I think we have, Michaela, there you go. That's the monstrance, and this is the tabernacle. Or maybe I should say this is the tabernacle. Because we are born of imperishable seed and we give birth to imperishable seed. Jesus taught that we are actually his mother. And so the faith implanted in Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration is to be planted by Peter in the Valley of Transfiguration, is to be planted in himself, and planted in others. In the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, which is like top shelf, Klaus Hunzinger writes this, grain of mustard seed is used here simply to denote the smallest quantity. A particularly big faith is not needed. The largest promise applies to the smallest faith. If only there is real faith, its quantity is irrelevant. Faith shows itself to be such by not looking to itself but solely to God. If it will only let God work, the impossible is possible for it. The faith of which the Logion, the passage speaks, finds its expression in prayer, which entrusts all things to God. You know, in Mark's version of the story, in the midst of the absolute chaos, despair, confusion, and dirt, and demons, the father of the boy afflicted by the demons, he prays, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, he takes the faith he's got, and he sows it. I believe, that's the seed. Help my unbelief, he sows it. Later, Jesus says to the disciples, these kind, these kind of demons cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, which paints a remarkable picture. That means that these nine disciples have been casting out demons for a couple years. And so I'm sure they had confidence in their technique and their knowledge. They had confidence in their technology, but they had not prayed. And so their faith was not in God, but in themselves. And if they did have faith in God, well, they hadn't planted it. It had not been delivered up to death. And and now I think if you've been around a while, I've told you this story a couple times. I told it a couple years ago, but I want to tell it again because for me, this is mustard seed faith and I think I experienced it. Many years ago, I was praying for a friend afflicted by a demon due to things that were done to her as a child. She desperately, desperately wanted to be free. And so we were exposing lies in her past and she was forgiving things that need to be forgiven because that's where the demons hide and that's where they get power. I I know that may seem utterly bizarre to you, but at some level, we are all engaged in the very same struggle. It was about 2 in the morning, and we had been praying for hours, and this demonic spirit would not leave. Periodically, it would seize control of her body. I remember at one point, at one point, her whole body just went rigid. She gasped, she stopped breathing, and then she fell over on the floor. I bent down, no breath. I tried every technique I knew, in the name of Jesus, under the authority of his blood, in the name of the covenant, I take blah, 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 blah. Every every technique I knew, I accessed every bit of knowledge in my extensive knowledge database from every book that I had had ever read. I yelled louder, trying to will harder. Aram, my associate, was quoting every Bible verse that he could think of, and still she was lying there on the floor. I bent over. She still wasn't breathing. I looked up at Aram, Aram looked up at me, and all of a sudden I realized, we're dead. She's dead, and we're dead. Two grown men at the house of a single woman at two in the morning, and the cops are not gonna believe that the demon did it. And then I don't know exactly where this came from. I mean, I did not access it from my extensive and impressive storehouse of knowledge. I do not remember willing to will it. I'm not sure that it was even me, or maybe it was the real me, not the adult me, the child me. I just muttered, Jesus, help us. And instantly, she took this huge gasp of air, and we went on and got rid of that demon. My friend was transfigured. (laughs) I got to say, I think I was a little transfigured, and Aram was transfigured. I think it was faith as a mustard seed, not faith in technology but faith in Jesus, faith of Jesus, born in me in that place, born of me in that place. And don't get me wrong, religious technology can be very good and helpful at times, but it cannot move mountains. I think Jesus was saying, Peter, don't you ever forget it's me. Faith in you is my spirit in you, and this is where it grows, in the dirt, in Aram, in her, in the midst of chaos, at two in the morning. You see, your faith does not belong in a golden tabernacle. It's important to come and worship, and sit and behold body broken and uh, bloodshed. That's important, but then, but then you're commanded to eat it, to put it in the dirtiest place you could think of and take it to the valley and plant it. So rather than trying to make more faith, take the faith you've got and sow it in the valley. The valley of your addictions and your failures, in those places, pray, Jesus, help me. Take the faith you've got and sow it in the valley of your own bitterness and your resentment. Say, Jesus, in your name, I forgive as you have forgiven. Take the faith you've got and sow it in the valley of your neighbor's poverty and doubt and fear and sorrow. As you are, love them as they are. Don't be afraid to sow the faith you've got. You may feel like it's dying. And you may feel like you're dying, but it's a seed. Now that means it may take a couple thousand years to germinate, but the seed is eternal, imperishable and indestructible. You know, I think I have a fair amount of faith for dealing with demons, but I don't think I have much faith for dealing with taxes finances, church programs, And remember, Jesus said, you are Peter, you're rocky, and on this rock I will build my church. Next verse, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the half shekel tax went up to Peter and said, hey, does your teacher pay the tax? Now this was a tax levied according to the Old Testament to build uh, the the tabernacle, now the temple, what Peter thought of as church. Remember Peter's psychology here. Peter said, yeah, he pays it. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? For whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From the sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free, however, not to give offense to them, so they think they were tightwads and we don't, you know, whatever. Go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. Remember that Jesus calls Peter uh, Simon, son of of Jonah? And Jonah was caught by a fish, descended into hell. Now Peter will catch a fish and find treasure there. Take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. How bizarre. Take that and give it to him for me and for yourself. As far as I can tell, this was Jesus' only fundraising program. Now, the Old Testament is just packed with details, explicit details packed with ecclesiastical technology regarding tithes, sacrifices, offerings, and taxes. But Jesus says, Peter, I want you to go to the fish, cast a hook into the sea, and the first fish you take up, not the second or the last, the first fish you take up, open the mouth, and there you'll find a shekel. That was the exact amount, the exact amount. Needed for the tax, I'd be like, "Oh, could we, you know, get a couple shekels?" But no, exact amount for the tax. Tax on a building that would soon be rendered obsolete and destroyed by Romans, because God in Christ Jesus was building a new tabernacle with living stones, sinners transfigured by grace. Peter could not build it, but God would build it through Peter. That would not only involve demoniacs; it would involve taxes, finances, and and even church programs. But it would all be built with faith as a mustard seed. So how do you build Christ's church? You don't. He does with mustard seeds. Christ's church is built with mustard seeds as is an entire new creation. Mustard seeds planted in guys like Peter and you imagine how peter felt casting that hook into the sea i mean he's a fisherman right he had the technology in all his years i bet he had never found a shekel in the mouth of his of a fish i bet he's, he's got to be thinking to himself peter or jesus <laughs> this is stupid but, but he does it i mean i bet he died a little bit and then he lived a lot remember jesus had said to, to peter i'm gonna make you fish your men and it was in the mouth of those men that peter found the resources that the church would need. On Pentecost, Christ and Peter, faith and Peter caught about 3,000 fish, and they shared everything in common. It was the tabernacle filled with the glory of God. It was people transfigured by grace. The church and the gates of hell could not prevail against it. Well, like I said in November, I think we've been to the Mount of Transfiguration and seen that Jesus always wins. He always wins, even when he loses, he wins, especially when he loses, he wins. But we're not supposed to keep that faith in a stone tabernacle or sanctuary. We're called to take that faith and sow it in the valley. It may feel like death at times, but God will provide just what's needed, not more and not less. So I've tried to to not make things happen because I can't build the sanctuary, but instead, I've tried to receive what is happening because God builds the sanctuary and provides treasure in the mouth of fish. He provides through you, through all of you, and many of you behind the scenes in ways that people don't see. But last year, Chris Fleur, or that's last summer, Chris Fleur came to me in a way that I could see, and he said, Peter, I think I'm supposed to help the church get organized, to care for itself, and to spread this message beyond these walls. In December, the board hired Chris to do two things. Number one, direct the organization of the sanctuary, and number two, direct the organization of something we're calling the sanctuary abroad. It's an increased internet presence, books, blogs, materials, Downside Up videos to take the message beyond these walls and pastor people that are not physically present in this place. Two months ago, Kathleen Kegel uh, came to me and and to the board and said, hey, I'm available to pastor. You know, Kathleen's an ordained Presbyterian pastor. She's been really pastoring us as a volunteer for years. And so in December, the board hired Kathleen part-time to work as pastor of community life. Kimberly Waning has been doing that and helping me since uh, Andrew had resigned, helping me with the sermon transcriptions. Kimberly will still work with missions and some groups, but will have more time to work on Sanctuary Abroad with me and our new Sanctuary Abroad committee chaired by, by Matt. Ben Sullivan recently came back on staff to oversee media for the Sanctuary and the Sanctuary Abroad. And the worship search committee is looking for a permanent part-time worship leader. Francis, Dee, Dee Angie, Susan, Jess, Glenn, Michaela will keep doing what they've been doing and we're doing it all within the parameters of our budget as God sends, sends fish with, with resources in their mouths. I, I'm saying that I think we're sowing the faith that God has given to us and we're looking to God to provide. And at times it may feel like we're dying and one day we will all die, but faith, Christ's faith transfigures all things. While it remains in the stone sanctuary or a gold tabernacle, it transfigures nothing. But when it is planted in the soil of your heart And when you plant it in the soil of the hearts around you, it transfigures all things from people to temples to taxes and even fish. You know, Jesus said, faith as a mustard seed will move this mountain. Maybe faith will grow and one day move every mountain But when Jesus said this mountain in Matthew 17, I mean, he must have been referring to the Mount of Transfiguration. Perhaps Peter's faith or Christ's faith in Peter moved it into the depths of the abyss, the sea, where it transfigures all sorts of dirty, slimy, slimy things, including fish. John Shea is a priest. And he tells about a a time when he was 13 years old. As an altar boy, he was assigned to the adoration of the host in the chapel for a half an hour. Says he sat there and he fidgeted. He looked at his watch. And then finally, he looked up at the host, the communion wafer. And he says, it spoke. Without speaking, it spoke. And it said, I'm more than just a host, you know. Immediately, he looked at the other altar boy who was a fat kid with big floppy ears that the other kids made fun of at school and without speaking, he spoke. And he said, I'm more than just a fat kid with big floppy ears, don't you know? After a half hour, he walked out into the night and he saw an old lady that was waiting to cross the street holding a cane. Without speaking, she spoke and she said, I'm more than just a wrinkled old widow, don't you know? And at that, he looked up at the sky and he said, the sky thundered, I'm more than just the sky, don't you know? And on the darkest of all nights, the seed took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you, don't you know? Take and eat. And in the same manner, he took the cup and said, this cup is the covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, my blood, don't you know? And so we invite you to come to the table. We invite you to tear off a piece of the bread, uh, dip it in the cup and place it in your mouth and swallow it into your gut, because you see, um, you are more than dust. Don't you know? Amen. You know, uh, I have worked at some really big churches. (laughs) I mean, President Reagan's church and other churches out in California, and I was the pastor of a really big church, and I love big churches. Big churches are great, but sometimes I go, God, the sanctuary's little. (laughs) I mean, it feels like, like a speck on my finger. And as I was, we were singing that song, I felt like God would say, well, Peter, look again at that speck. Is that a speck of dirt or is it a seed? I think we're a seed and we're supposed to be planted and that's scary because that means you really don't know kind of what's going to (laughs) happen and i don't exactly know what's going to happen but we have a really great board and our board's been praying and thinking and uh uh, in december they made this decision to um, change kind of the way we're structured and you know we went through some significant change with uh, andrew and michael resigning which allowed for a whole lot of re configuring, and so uh, like I mentioned in the sermon, we've hired some part-time people. We're looking for one more part-time person, and I'm going to have them come forward right now along with some of the other staff, and I I want us to sow them, okay? (laughs) <laughs> Which is scary, because seeds that are sown die, but they they rise from the dead. So Kathleen, come on up here. And uh, actually, all of us are, are the seed, but let's sow ourselves, okay? So this is Kathleen. This is Kathleen Kegel. And this is Chris Fuller that I spoke about in the sermon. Yeah, you can come up here. And then maybe um, is Kimberly out there and Ben and uh, any other of the staff, you can come forward too. Kimberly um, and... Let's see, there's Ben and Francis was somewhere, but she, she's always doing something. So oh, there she is. And Susan, why don't you come forward? And what I want us to do is just, is just pray. We're gonna pray for them and commission them, all right? Especially these two, which, which are new, but also let's pray for us that we would, that we would uh, sow ourselves our true selves okay and that uh, god would have his way with us so will we pray and then i'll benedict you (laughs) okay and the broncos will win all right okay (laughs) so (laughs) father i want to thank you so very much for the sanctuary i just lord i as i was thinking about praying over kathleen and chris i thought gosh i want to pray over everybody there's so many incredible people here that have given so much in such unique um, and varied ways. And Lord God, I know the sanctuary, there are people that I connect with online that watch videos and uh, folks that um, read things that are written here, connect um, from abroad as people up in in Evergreen. Lord God, I'm not even sure exactly what it is. It feels little to me, but Lord God, may we be your seed and may you plant us. For your purposes and for your glory. Lord God, I want to thank you for Chris, the incredible story that you're writing in his life. I thank you for Sarah, like I said last night, I thank you for his mom, the faith that's been place in him through his mom and through the work of your spirit in his story. Lord God, we pray that you would give Chris wisdom as he seeks to help us be organized in a more efficient way and to be organized in a way that would be more of a blessing um, to those around us and to our world. Lord God, I pray that you would guard Chris so that he would hear your voice and he'd be able to recognize the voice of the evil one. Whether it comes through us or it comes through others, um, Lord, guard Chris and give him wisdom. Use the gift of administration in Chris to bless all of us, Lord God. And uh, Jesus, I renounce anything dark, anything evil that would have designs upon Chris or Sarah and would seek to hinder them from doing this task. And I call on you, Spirit, to fill Chris for this purpose. Lord God, I thank you so much for Kathleen. I thank you for how she's pastored us and led uh, the prayer team now for years. And I thank you for spirituality. I thank you for the way um, her heart reaches out to those in need. I thank you, Lord, for how she longs to pull other people together in community. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Kathleen, and we cover Kathleen uh, with your righteousness, but with also Lord God with our with our support. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to guard Kathleen to empower uh, Kathleen and Lord uh, to keep Kathleen from the designs of the evil one Lord make her um, Lord make her like a watchdog, not a great metaphor, but Lord uh Right, Kathleen? That's not a good metaphor. <laughs> Lord, make her like a, a guard uh, standing at the door of your church because the evil one prowls around seeking someone to devour. And I know, Lord Jesus, He devours communities by trying to get into the cracks and uh, providing gossip and slander. Lord, make, make Kathleen your guard to guard us as a community and to help us grow as a community. Lord Jesus, I pray for Kimberly, and I'm so grateful for her and how you've used her. Lord Jesus, I pray as she steps into new things, working on this Sanctuary Abroad deal, and Lord, also working uh, with uh, Kathleen still in certain capacities, Lord, I pray that you'd fill her up and call her, Lord Jesus, more deeply into things that, that you have for her. And now, Lord God, I've started praying for everybody, so I'm going to make this quick. Thank you so much for Ben and how you've used him with Downside Up. Lord, it's just amazing to me how you've raised up Ben and and, Lord, I pray that you'd fill them with passion for what you've called them to. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for Frances and how she's, she really in so many ways gave birth to this whole church. I thank you for her. Oh, Lord God, I thank you for Angie down with the children, people working in children. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for Glenn and Michaela, everybody up in the sound booth. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for my wife for a whole bunch of reasons. Thank you for Dee Dee and how you use her to do all the administration of the church. Did I miss anybody? Oh, and Jess, Lord, I'm so grateful for how Jess has stepped in, uh, Lord, in this interim capacity And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bring the person that you want to fill this spot permanently to us and that we would recognize them. Lord, I'm going to thank you for all of us because we are your church. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are far more concerned with us than we are concerned with ourselves, but you don't worry because you have finished, you have accomplished. And Lord Jesus, now you are revealing your victory. May you reveal it in us and through us for your glory. It's in your name we pray, amen. And so now by way of benediction blessed are you dirt bags <laughs> for for you you contain eternal seed that will not fail amen